Worcester Culture Watch, a podcast connecting you with the local culture scene in Worcester, arts, entertainment, music, and more. Worcester Culture Watch from the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. Hello, and you are listening to Worcester Culture Watch on Telegram.com and WorcesterMagazine.com and Unity Radio 97.9 FM in Worcester. UnityRadio.org. .org. Ooh, UnityRadio.org. That's that's the fourth place. What we're saying is you can listen to us in a lot of places. Right, right. A lot of places. I I understand that we have actually been added to my wife's podcast collection finally. (laughs) Um, I because she she listens through Plex, mm-hmm. or one of the things she listens to, and I guess you can download the entire um, um, from the newsroom for the Telegram and Gazette podcast package, which is us and the sports and the you know downstairs at the newsroom. Oh, and it's all comes out one podcast, su- oh, so you can okay. be subscribing to that. Right, and that's amazing. Hi, I'm Victor Infante. <laughs> Hey, entertainment editor for the Worcester Telegram and Gazette, and the content editor for Worcester Magazine, and the guy who goes off topic very, very easily for the entire Gatehouse Media Central Massachusetts Empire. And it is an empire. <laughs> it is slowly taking over everything. Yeah, taking over your mind. Have you it's checked your garage? Gatehouse might own it now. Anyways, I'm here in the studios with Worcester Magazine reporter Bill Shaner. Hi, Bill. How you doing? Hi, good. You forgot to mention that I'm an accomplished pizza chef. Accomplished oh. pizza chef. I'm sorry. I, I just got so excited about pizza that I kicked the table. <laughs> We are clearly, clearly operating at our best today. Yes, it's, always. And you know why we're so giddy? Because we are done with the election. Right. We are done with the Worcester Municipal election, and I think our final word of it is on the cover today yeah. on Worcester Magazine. This is the last you'll hear from us about municipal politics for at least a week. At least a week. Maybe two. Yeah, right. Maybe right, two, because yeah. really ain't much happening this <laughs> yeah, week. Yeah, right, right. We're, what the, the boys at 508 Worcester call, were called like the end of season. Right. You know, like that was the season. They were saying that this is the season finale, and then we might have a holiday special, but that the season doesn't begin again until next year. Yeah, no. We won't hear a peep from any of these people until, <laughs> I think the, the uh, inauguration is January, uh, uh, middle of January. Is that the, which yeah. is also the day they're going to be announcing the new who the new um, poet laureate's going to be? Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that same ceremony. Really? Yeah, they're doing the same ceremony. The same ceremony. Okay, uh, that's my understanding. Yeah, right. That's my understanding. I guess I guess it, an inauguration is an inauguration. It's yeah, an inauguration. so uh, so you know you get the See, mayor, you get the poet laureate. Thing. They have the same amount of power. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> Sorry, obviously. Joe. Oh, no, no, no. Anyways, <laughs> you have a wonderful story and quite serious story on the cover of Worcester Magazine today. Um, raising the stakes, does mass majorities infusion of PAC money change the game for local elections? Why don't right. you tell us a little about that? Right. So uh, the genesis of this story is that uh, the, the sort of people got turned on to this that were very politically aware. Uh, in the weeks leading up to the election, uh, Donna Calorio, city council candidate, had a flyer that misspelled Worcester on it. Yes, the infamous Worcester flyer. Well, the Worcester uh, flyer. It was a campaign mailer. Yeah. yeah to use the political term, same thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
everyone was like, oh, that's how, how does someone from Worcester do that? You know, big, big snafu there. And then, like, you start looking into it, and you're like, oh, this didn't come from Clutter's campaign. It came from something called the Mass Majority Super PAC. Uh, and then if you follow that breadcrumb trail and you go on to uh, the state uh, campaign finance website and you, there's all sorts of data about it, you can see pretty much everything that happens with it, uh, where the money comes, where the money goes. Uh, and it turns out that uh, Donna Colorio was one of 15 candidates in local elections around the state that skew conservative that received um, – uh, like in total, it was about two hundred seventy thousand dollars, and Donna Colorio herself received thirty eight thousand. Uh, which, in a in a municipal election, it is kind of unprecedented to see a super PAC or even just state parties spending money on candidates. Yeah, it, not it, that much money. Anyways. Yeah, it, and and you know, everyone knows it's a joke when. Politicians say that local offices are nonpartisan. Like it's obvious they are they're obviously partisan. Like just yeah. can we dispense with that line? And you do receive the Democ- Democratic candidates like Joe Petty receives some support from the Democratic Party, but not like this. This is this is a lot. This was a change. This was a something new in the political culture of Worcester. Mm. For and, sure. And, and this pack isn't going anywhere because they've only that's about a quarter of the money that they've spent. And we would like to note that while we are interested in the fact that this is different, yeah, um, as Nick Katsopoulos put out in his c- column last week, this is perfectly legal. Perfectly legal. And this is no, all up front. This is all out in the open. This there, this is transparent, really. There's no as, as transparent as backs go. Yeah, there's no implication in the story that this isn't legal. Yes. Uh, you, you there, a follow up story you could ask: Should it be legal? But that's not the question I wanted to ask. The question that I wanted to ask with this story is, who is this mass majority pack, and why Colorio, uh, and what, what, what was the reasoning behind giving her so much money? Hmm. Uh, and the the story, it turns out, really has not that much to do with Colorio at all, and instead to do with, like, a deep fracture in uh, in Massachusetts Republicans. And that was a really fascinating t- uh, uh, tidbit to me. Right. Not even a tidbit. It's pretty much the the underpinning of the whole story, is the more closer you look to it. <laughs> yeah, the closer you look, the closer you realize that f- for the purposes of this pack, which is tied to Charlie Baker in a way that he can't really even deny, even though he's not officially on it, uh, I mean, it's it, all the candidates that he that that the the PAC money went to endorsed him, uh, mm. and it, the person is being run by some the, the PAC is being run by someone who is on his inaugural committee. I mean, like, come on. Um, uh, but interesting to note there, and there's just so many little quirky, interesting things about this. But a super PAC can raise unlimited sums for a candidate, but they cannot directly coordinate with a candidate. Right. So. Taking that in the context of Charlie Baker in this pack, he can't be on record at all having ever coordinated with this committee. No. Uh, now, he can go on TV. This is the Stephen Colbert moment where <laughs> right. and he did not do this to the best of my knowledge, but he, did not, he can easily go on TV and say, 
I hope somebody supports Donna Calorio. Right, right. I don't know if he did anything like that, but... I mean, it's not hard to come to these names once you start looking at exactly looking at, at yeah. Their and if you look at and if you look at 2018, uh, I mean 2016 or no 2018, 2018 and 2014 as when Baker as um, th- all these people are involved in some way. Right. So it it really is like uh, and uh, a really small. I I reached out to a someone who's a lot better at, at politics than I am. Uh, Maurice Cunningham uh, from Mass Politics Prof blog. Uh, he's a he's he's really into uh, looking at dark money and campaign finance and and all of this sort of wonky but interesting stuff because this is the way that politics actually works. Uh, and I think that that in itself is fascinating. Um, he put it sort of like this, and I'm going to spoil the end of the piece. But I mean, that's what we're doing. We're in a podcast. Exactly. The if Baker wants to run it for governor again or for anything else, he needs to build his own party mechanism almost. You can't replace a political party that's been around since the 1850s. Yeah. But the, the, the mass GOP has gone super Trump, super like far-right, um, uh, socially conservative, Uh, like own the libs style Republican and Charlie Baker very much represents the sort of, I don't want to say the never Trump, but he's like sort of the pretty not on the same page. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's an act, he's an active vocal critic. He's on record criticizing the Trump administration. Uh, and he's more of the, the brand of, well, why don't we just like, you know, be quiet while we privatize everything instead of, (laughs) you know, I don't, it's like, I don't think on an issue per issue base basis, I don't know how much they really differ. Trump and Baker really differ. Right. Some, maybe some of the social conservative issues Baker will pull back on. Right. But that doesn't matter so much much as as the chairman of the state GOP and Charlie Baker are not getting along. Uh, The chairman of the state GOP cut off a very inventive, uh, dark money fundraising operation that the Baker administration had going on called the Mass Victory Fund, mm. where money was funneled through the Republican Governors Association back to the back to the national GOP, back to the state GOP, uh, and and uh, the the way that Maurice Cunningham put this to me is that they were very proud of that. It was a very inventive, like Rube Goldberg machine of ca- campaign finance, and the 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 state GOP blew that up. It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. They're not getting that money anymore, so now they have to do this pack. And now there's no Rube Goldberg machine anymore. You it's can, pretty open. You it's, can like go I said, onto the, it's a very transparent in a lot of ways. Yeah, you can go onto the website and be like, oh, what does Wayfair have to gain by giving this pack $100,000 in the first round of funding? Uh, oh, why is, why you know, uh, the interesting little local bit here is Kath, uh, one of the Crocs mm-hmm. gave $5,000 to this pack, and the Crocs got a bunch of money from the Baker administration to do the Central Street project, Central Building Project yep. on Main Street. So that's just a little tidbit of like the transactional nature of these kind of politics. And, and I think one of the things, I mean, step back for those who aren't paying attention to how Baker is portrayed in the national media, mm-hmm. um, consistently in the, for the past year at least, he has been presented as the most popular mayor 
our most popular Gov- governor right. in the country. And that's probably by and large true. Yeah. I mean that he the the polling doesn't lie. Yeah. Like, Massachusetts has- loves its middle of the road uh person who positions themselves as the adult in the room yeah and so the to see a governor who is that popular who normally i would not see in danger of being reelected, right to be in that sort of conflict where this whole thing becomes necessary that is definitely it's definitely of interest. Right. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's uh, it's an unusual and really unprecedented associ- um, uh, unprecedented situation, and I think it really speaks to just the 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 split mind of the Republican Party in general in 2019. That I don't think that there's there's a lot of love and loyalty uh, going on here between the the two camps, like the. The, the pro the pro business fiscal conservative adult in the room style conservative represented by Charlie Baker and then the own the libs uh, build the wall style conservative represented by Trump is really demonstrated in Massachusetts quite clearly mm. between Jim Lyons and, and Charlie Baker uh, and I think that that's that's just so interesting going into a national election year it really is yeah. it really is and you know and I don't know what how, I, I would wonder if it's this is playing out elsewhere in the country similar I don't uh, yeah take I don't know I don't know I think that because we've seen other local and regional GOPs blow up uh, my my home area Orange County California oh, yeah they lost that was not long ago, a couple of elections back was all Republican, all five seats. Yeah. Five Congress, five, all five seat, congressional seats. Right. And then there was one, but 20 years ago, was one blue, and now it's all blue. Oh, interesting. And that that shocked everybody, everybody. I mean, a lot of people were expecting heavy losses and yeah. people like Dana Rohrbacher to go down, but not all five. Yeah. <laughs> so... And that, that this sort of blow up, this underlying blow up, is one of the reasons. Yeah, and I I think that like there everyone wants to criticize like the the left for purity tests, but there is sort of like a weird purity test going on right now where where like where where people call Charlie Baker like a, a rhino, like Republican in name only, or something, or, or stuff like that. Um, and it's just so weird to have uh, someone who's so objectively popular be outcast by his own party which is not doing the way the way that uh uh Maurice Cunningham put it in the story is that they're they're headed the the state Republican party is headed for an iceberg and they know they're going to hit the iceberg and they're not changing their course. <laughs> well, clearly somebody's at least trying to build a life raft. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know and the the it's it's really sort of like this isn't the situation you typically think about with super PACs, like you typically think about a super PAC, like, you know, obviously they're designed to allow wealthy people to purchase influence. Yes. But this is the, this is a case of wealthy people purchasing influence to help a governor who is like out at sea, despite being so popular. Uh, it's yeah. Really very, very it's a weird. really weird, unique situation. Yeah. And I think it also speaks a lot to, we're talking about this divide within the Republican Party, but it also, I think, there's a divide between the party, as in the people who actually run the party, 
and the rank and file. Right. You know, I get, you know, you get into people, it's like you start saying, when you, somebody like you or I will be talking about the Republican Party of Massachusetts, and some guy is sitting next to us at the bar might say, well, I'm a Republican. It's like, well, yeah, but you're not the guy making decisions. Yeah, right. You, you know, and yeah. there, I think a lot of rank and file Republicans and Democrats are very divorced from the activities of their party. Right. And yeah, I, that's, I think that, I think that that's interesting. Yeah. And does, uh, uh, Jim Lyons takeover of the Republican Party is that closer to the your your average regular Republican or is Charlie Baker closer to your average regular? Republican? I mean, if you get, I mean, here in Central Massachusetts, once you leave Worcester and its ring towns, yeah, not really, you start getting purple pretty fast in the ring towns. Yeah, it's real culture war hours and out it's there. Super red. Yeah, super red. Um, you know, when you get north and west of here. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's a you know there's there's small pockets west of here that's Confederate flag country. Yeah, yeah. there and that and that is what it is. And yeah. you know it starts getting blue again on you know when you get near Amherst and East, right, Northampton right. and those, but yeah, the Berkshires out in the sticks, out in the sticks. Yeah. But um, but yeah, in Central Massachusetts, and which is one of Charlie Baker's bases. Yeah. This, this really is his base out right, there. Right. So this is really interesting, and I think it's. I, I think the questions going forward is: Does this distort this activity? Distort political activity in elections in Worcester and Massachusetts? I think that this story is a very good lead-in to carefully looking at decisions made exactly. coming up. Uh, Colorio is the chairwoman of the City Republican Party. Yep. Uh, I think that a good thing to look at is to look at what side of that divide she's on Mm -hmm. and where her allegiances lie and what, uh, what sort of, uh, how that affects, uh, decisions made, maybe not on the city council, but possibly, I mean, she's obviously going to have, she's, and, and, and I think some people freaked out a little bit much about her making her gaining a seat. Now, it was surprising, I think. I don't know if she was anybody's top bet. It was surprising. and I, I think, think Tony Economy was everybody's bet. Right, right. As I put in the piece, it emerged that there was sort of like a three-way contest. It wasn't that clear at the time. No. But you look at the election results after, and like the really the only contest on the city council was the three-way contest for last place. Yes. Uh, and... You know, it's a very real thing that in total, Donna Colorio spent almost $50,000 in the two weeks leading up to this, whereas Tony Economo spent eleven, and Attell spent 7000 that, That's crazy. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a huge difference. And, and, and I, I do wonder, I mean, the logic on... One of the things, the graphic that you've got with your story on page 14. She for beat this. Tony Economo by 500 votes and yeah. outspent him by three times-ish. He, Tony was 14,000? Yeah. 14,000 to 38,000. No, 38 wow. plus oh, the 11 th- that she spent plus, herself. Plus herself. Yeah. Oh, her, her own fundraising. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah we're talking 49,000 to 13. Yeah, that's that's a pretty big leg up. And, you know, you want to be like, oh, it's local elections. And, like, and you the, can't buy votes. The but people yeah, who are apportioning this this money, I'm sure these numbers aren't random. I People looked at this and said, well, if we give her more money, 
she's yeah. got a real shot at getting that. That's yeah. She's she was in one of the close races. Yeah. There, uh, they gave they weirdly gave money to Democrats that had endorsed Baker that weren't even even close to losing, like uh, the Fitchburg mayor and the Springfield mayor, and you know. And, yeah. That side of it's also interesting. Yeah, it and, that, like kind and of that, a smokescreen. And, well, and Donna Clory, I refer to it as a bipartisan. Exactly. Committee. Now, if you're giving if you're giving money for appearances' sake, and you're giving it to Democrats who aren't going to lose it no matter what. Right. Probably a well, well, <laughs> you know, a good yeah. investment no matter what how you shake it. There, really, yeah, you know, you get the, you do no damage and you look good. Right. Because we love the reach across the aisle narrative in Massachusetts so much. We do. We, we, we really, we, we really do. Yeah. This is this is the logic that gave us Mitt Romney. Yeah. And we, America, we're sorry. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> we love it, Massachusetts. I I think that like a really good. And steal this pitch because I'm not the person to write this. But why do we call Massachusetts a progressive state? Why? It's a matter. What, of, what have we done to earn a, the mantle of being a state? It is a matter state? of perspective. If you live in other states, this looks, this feels very progressive. It is not. It is a liberal state. Maybe if the whole state was Cambridge, if the whole have, state was yeah. But no, we we tend to ha- we tend to lean towards moderate Republican governors. We like those. Yeah. You know, done. We've love got, to see it. We love, we're still talking about Bill Weld. We're <laughs> still talking, you know, there are people that are going to vote for him for president <laughs> in the Republican primary. Yeah. I am certain of it. Yep. He yep. might even do okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this is, this, this is the truth. We do like our, we do like our middle of the aisle. Right middle of the road politics here and i think a lot of that is because there's a belief that that does the least amount of damage and whether that argument is valid or not is another conversation but i think i mean if you look at its voting record on a national level clearly you know it is going to always be one of the bluest of the blue states right right yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you if you're looking at it from say Ohio or Pennsylvania or Iowa, yeah, it looks it, it looks pretty dang progressive. <laughs> yeah, right. You I know, right. and those are the you know those are like battleground states where yeah. there's a large progressive contingent, but it's also way outnumbered and off often. Right. Yeah, yeah. I suppose you're right. Yeah, uh, it's all a matter of where you're sitting, really. True. Well, this uh, this is sort of a one of the deepest dives I've personally taken into politics, and I think I hope that it informs readers in a way that helps them uh, with a little bit of worldview, looking at the way that Worcester operates with the state um, and going forward uh, to keep, keep this in the back of your mind. Yeah. And I think on a local level, if we want to look at, does this change the political culture of Worcester? The introduction of, of large amounts of money from PAC spending is always going to be a thing to watch. Yeah. And I'm sure that, uh, the state reps, uh, are looking at this and saying, Oh my God, who are they going to back to run against me? And how hard are they going to back them? Exactly. And that, but that being said, Worcester itself has always had at least one conservative voice on the city council. Yeah. And this is not changing. Right. We net traded Connie Luke's for Calorio. 
and whether whatever opinion you have of that trade yeah. is whatever opinion you have of that trade right. but there's still one conservative voice there you right. know and sometimes we've had two yeah <laughs> with nobody spending money I, well i would say that the, i would say that the the trade between Colorio and Luke's is interesting because Luke's was an idiosyncratic politician. Yeah. Colorio is much more party minded. Yeah. So that is that is that is that is definitely a fair a fair a fair observation. All right. I think we have talked enough. If you want to read more about about Bill's deep dive into Republican fundraising you can read his cover story in today's Worcester magazine you can also read a, the follow up on our tarot card reading for the election where right, we, we didn't even get to that we didn't even get to that but <laughs> it was still awesome yeah <laughs> it was fun thank you Deb Deb Powers um, setting us straight on what actually happened in that tarot reading and why it was completely correct and why we were wrong <laughs> <laughs> love it love it, it was great all right, we're going to take a brief break. We're going to listen to Dance, Stay, or Go by Way Up South.
And we're back. You have been listening to Stay, Dance, or Go by Way Up South. You can read my review of their new album uh, in this week's Worcester Magazine. We have banished Bill Shaner to the depths of digging into political finances in some ungodforsaken hole and <laughs> wherever they find this information. And we have joined now in the studio by Richard Duckett, entertainment reporter for the Telegram and Gazette. Hi, Richard. How are you today? Hi, Victor. How are you? I am doing well. I am doing well. We are going to change up gears completely from the first half of this show, and we're going to be talking a little bit about music. Yes. Well, one of the things that's unique about Worcester and the Worcester area is the large number of um, choruses, chorales, choirs uh, that have active members and uh, long traditions. And a couple of those uh, having um, what you might call um, significant years or seasons coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, Salisbury Singers, um, they're in their 46th season. And for 22 of those years, Michelle Gravelin has been their um, artistic director. But this is going to be her final season. Um, That's an incredible run. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's um, credited with helping uh, revive uh, the Salisbury Singers, who were in a bit of a tailspin for a while. But then um, she helped revive their fortunes in terms of um, membership um, I think they can call on a hundred singers if they need to for wow. um, a given performance. Um, so um, the first concert of the final season will be at four o'clock November 17th. It's called the New England Harvest Home and it features works by um, 20th and 21st century uh, New England composers, uh, including Gwyneth Walker, who's going to be in attendance at... Um, at First Baptist Church when uh, the concert is uh, held. Um, and um, she's... Michelle Gravelin's going to go out um, with her final show um, in May, where a favorite work of hers is Mendelssohn's Elijah, which oh, is a yeah. massive work with it the is. orchestra, um, singers. And um, so that, that will be her final... Uh, concert um in may but um there are still still some still some good concerts to uh, look forward to um she's a very nice person um was um director of choral activities at assumption college for <laughs> 35 years and is um bowing out and retiring it sounds like she's ending on a fantastic note there <laughs> right right and then um the Worcester Men of Song, uh, a different type of singing, barbershop singing, actually. Uh, they're marking their 70th year this year as a chapter. Um, they were founded in 1949. And one of their members, uh, one of their current members, um, was there in 1949. Wow. So, so, uh, um, for the past 38 years... They've been putting on an annual concert at Mechanics Hall this, yep. this time of year, um, and the next this one, this one coming up is on November twenty fourth, Mechanics Hall, two o'clock, and the title of it is it's it is it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. So <laughs> I think you get what get get an idea of what sort of a show that is. We are officially um, in the holiday season, it seems. Yeah, it was it, it was interesting though talking with um, 
their incoming president um, for a story that's going to run uh, a week from um, today, which is um, Thursday the 14th, so look for it in Worcester Magazine on the 21st. Um, they're looking, they're hoping to get newer members and an appeal to a new audience because um, coincidentally for the, to the chapter being founded 70 years ago, the average age of the members is 70 years. So um, barbershop singing, it's sort of rooted in a sort of, it brings to mind a different sort of time the, and style. The hats, uh, the, yeah, the wide-brimmed right. hats. I think, and, uh, I think the singing actually might have originated in barbershops. I um, hope, yeah. I would. It's, um, you know, it's an a cappella, four-part uh, Four-part singing, harmony, yeah. Um, with bass, baritone, tenor, and the lead who's pitched between um, a tenor and a baritone. And... Um, um, the songs um, uh, evoke a certain nostalgia, but it's actually quite difficult to sing. Um, it's immensely difficult. Um, you know, you have to you have to be aware of not only your voice but the voices of the other the other three singers or, or the chorus, and um, uh, each note really is stacked stacked up um, uh, for, in four different ways. Uh, so it takes some practice. Um, but uh, they're hoping to get more people uh, involved, more younger people involved. And um, certainly the Worcester Men of Song are, are out there. They perform at um, Worcester Braveheart baseball games, Worcester Railers games. Um, they were at a roller derby and sang there. <laughs> so uh, so, uh, so they're, not, they're certainly not shy. They, uh, they practice every Wednesday at Emanuel Lutheran Church in, Win in Worcester. And I think uh, anybody um, is welcome to show up. Well, excellent. That sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, we can't men mention uh, choruses and singing groups without mentioning that um, the Worcester Chorus will be doing its annual s performance of Handel's Messiah on uh, December 7th mm. in Mechanics Hall. That's always something to look forward to. Yeah, yeah. Last year they had it in April rather than December, and, yeah. uh, which made more logical sense to some, in some respects since, uh, since Messiah is really an Easter work. But in Worcester, you know, for 150 years or so, uh, you do yeah. the Messiah in December. And uh, so, so eyebrows were raised It's, last it's year. not even just here. It's you know, almost everywhere it's a holiday tradition like that. And it is interesting how that has... Well, in this country. It, in maybe. this country. Yeah, yeah, yeah in this yeah. country. Not, not in England, but um, where I'm from. But, uh, yeah. but, uh, but anyway, uh, to move it... Um, to April well, it was regarded almost as sacrilege, ironically. So now it's back uh, in its rightful place in, in December. There are some things you just don't mess with. And uh, a little bit to the east of us, well, not very far um, to the east of us, um, the Assabet Valley Master Singers um, are going to be um, putting on a performance of um, Hayden's Lord Nelson Mass and Leonard Bernstein's Chichester Psalms. That was a really um, interesting combination. I saw that, that we have a call out for that in the paper today. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were both uh, really written in troubled times. Um, 
uh, when Hayden wrote the Lord Nelson Mass, and Napoleon was about to seemed like he was going to conquer Europe and uh, and, and and Africa, and then uh, Lord Nelson um, had his first major victory against Napoleon in, in the Battle of the Nile. Um, would later lose his life in the Battle of Trafalgar, mm. but. Um, Originally, Hayden titled the work Mass for Troubled Times, but just after he completed it, Nelson won that uh, that battle in the Battle of the Nile, and so the work was retitled uh, The Lord Nelson Mass. And Lord Bernstein's Chichester Psalms was written you know, during the turbulent 1960s mm. and um, is generally considered to be a plea for peace, especially in uh, Israel. Yeah. Well, that sounds like an exciting piece. That's an exciting combination of work that really just... Yeah, the, so that'll be November 16th in Congregation B'nai Shalom in Westboro. Hmm. Well, that sounds like we've got a lot to look up, look forward to going on up there. Of course, you can always find follow events in Worcester Magazine's calendar and in um, the ACT calendar on Sundays. You're going to have a story on Sunday about... Oh, goodness gracious. I've already forgotten which show you've got. We've got a couple. Um, uh, I did interview Chevy Chase, who's bringing uh, National Lampoon's Christmas uh, vacation. And he will not be singing Handel's Messiah. No, no, he won't. <laughs> no. But uh, he'll be in good form. He's a very witty person. And uh, so um, he'll, he'll be – he'll show the film, and then he'll um, take questions from the audience – Tell stories. And, you, um, you know this 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 um, new new fad, if you will, or of bringing out a classic movie and then having one of the actors, the star, one of the stars, do a Q and A afterwards is actually kind of interesting. Yeah, there have been uh, several of them here mm-hmm. now at the Hanover Theater, and I know that John Cleese was here for. Um, Monty Python and the Search for the Holy Grail, and, and, the, and he's coming back actually uh, next year. So yeah, this the, is the first time that Chevy Chase has been doing it. Um, so it's a new experience for him. But um, from what he's um, experienced so far in the early early days of doing it, he said that he's enjoyed it. So well, there we go. And uh, like I said, I saw the one with um, Barry Bostwick and Rocky Horror Picture Show, and that was. A lot of fun, you know, and he was pretty much baiting the audience through the whole thing, so that was fun. So, yeah, they they get enthusiastic audiences. Who, yeah, that's um, a really kind of it makes it kind of a unique viewing experience. All right, well, I think that about wraps us up. You have been listening to Worcester Culture Watch on Telegram.com and WorcesterMag.com and Unity Radio ninety-seven point nine FM in Worcester. We'll be, as always, our music was composed by DJ Manipulator. We'll be back next week. Thank you. Good night.